Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today, I'll be answering questions about stealing from abusive parents, sharing snacks with children, and how to cope when you're an actor who's denied a role you really wanted. Here to help me out today is LeVar Burton. He's an award-winning actor, director, and educator. He's taught multiple generations of children about the joys of reading through his work on Reading Rainbow. He is the award-winning author of The Rhino Who Swallowed a Storm, a kid's book about imagination, and his Grammy-nominated book, Aftermath. He's the host of the podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. To help you get to know him a little better, I asked him to come prepared to talk about three facts that you won't find in his bio. LeVar, take it away with the first one. <laughs> um, I think the first thing that is not in my bio that comes most immediately to mind is the fact that the idea that I studied for the priesthood. I almost became a Catholic priest. I happen to know that, and I have a special question about that for you. So I can't wait to get your perspective on it. Second fact. What I would want to have for my last meal on earth in this body, it would be steak au poivre and frites. What is that? I'll just speak for the ignorant people. It, it's a, a steak that comes with a black pepper sauce. Mm. Um, any other color pepper is not valid. It has to be okay. black peppercorn. Au poivre, the French for with pepper. Sounds delicious. Any yeah. sides? Uh, frites, certainly. And I'll go with uh, some sort of greens, a side salad or uh, broccoli. Is, uh, spinach, maybe? I love a little sautéed Sauté spinach. spinach. Yeah, I'm with you. Garlic, That would be onions, my side, too. You cannot mm -hmm. go wrong. And what about the beverage? It's got to be a nice red wine. Okay. Right? Makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Something nice and full-bodied to go with that steak. Just, uh, you know, no frills. Just give it to me good. Okay. And third and final fun fact. I have flat feet. Does it cause you any issues in life? Not that I can discern, really. Um, my mom always hoped it would keep me out of the infantry should I ever get conscripted. Um, That's kind of convenient, yeah. Yeah. Well, if it, that didn't work, she was really committed to shooting me in the, in the leg. Well, you had a lot more important things to do with your life, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> anyway, LeVar and I will um, talk more about the important things he's done with his life and dive into your questions after a short break. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I am here with LeVar Burton. Hey, LeVar. Hey, Janae. Thank you again for coming to help me answer these questions today. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. My pleasure. There's some interesting, interesting folks out there, aren't there? Aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. With some serious situations in their lives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> serious situations in their lives. The pretty tagline. Um, let's go ahead and dive right in with our first letter. It is titled Snack Attack. I suffer from low blood sugar, so I keep a variety of snacks on me. My coworker, Jane, is a lovely person. Her daughter, Nora, is not. Jane can't drive, so Nora picks her up after picking up her kids from school. 
I gave one of the kids a snack once. Now Nora expects me to feed them every time that they're here. I already have explained that I need these snacks for my health, but Nora just rolled her eyes at me and said, sharing is caring. I have moved my snacks to a locked drawer and repeatedly told the kids that they can't have any. Nora still encourages her kids to come over and whine for food. She does it in the sing-songy, sugary tone. Oh, maybe Miss Grump will be nice and share her snacks. Why don't you ask her? I have complained to Jane. She will try to redirect her grandkids, but the issue keeps popping up. At this point, I feel like I'm going to pop and have serious words with Nora. There is no HR. The company only has 20 employees. And my boss is very hands-off. Please help. So I've said time and time again that I'm much more comfortable answering questions from people who are in an awkward situation and need Mm. just the right words to express themselves um, or in a sensitive situation than I am giving advice to people who are dealing with someone who's just shameless, you know, who Mm. just doesn't care about Mm -hmm. being rude and demanding. Right. And I believe that's what we're dealing with with the coworker here. Mm -hmm. Um, It's tricky because there's children involved. And I wonder, LeVar, do you have a soft spot for the kids here? Or do you think they need to be cut off? I think that the children are actually pawns in this situation. And shame on grandma for using them as such. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's something else going on in this dynamic between the mother of her friend um, Mm -hmm. and the letter writer, because I I don't think this is about snacks. Mm. I I think this is about boundaries. Okay. (laughs) And this, this woman needs to obviously establish better boundaries. And maybe I think a conversation with her friend, um, you know, she says she, she, that, that she's tried to redirect the energy of her grandchildren, but it hasn't worked. Well, you know, honey, if they're going to be in, in our space, then they have to come correct. And that is the, I think it's the family's responsibility. Mom, grandmom, somebody has got to, you know, really be the adult in this conversation. Um, and put a stop to what is, you know, low key harassment over snacks. So, I came up with a little bit of a script. Tell me if you think it's direct and boundary setting enough. Okay. Nora, can we talk? Please stop pressuring me to give your grandchildren snacks. It makes me uncomfortable when you encourage them to beg. This may not be a big deal to you, but it is to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Wow. That's awesome. That is awesome. Really? Could you say, no, seriously, could you read that again? Because this is like, that's, that's like amazing. Nora, can we talk? Please stop pressuring me to give your grandchildren snacks. It makes me uncomfortable when you encourage them to beg. This may not be a big deal to you, but it is to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Wow. I mean, it's open. It's honest. It's direct. It, it, yeah. it is It is non-judgmental and non-blaming. And I think, and at the end, she you, you, you hit them with, do you understand? Are, are we on the same page here? Right, right, you need confirmation. Yes, you need confirmation. Are we in the same moment, right? Right. Here, I must want to give you my other options I came up with for dealing oh, you did, with you this. have other options? Yeah, the, the second one would be the, the casual boundary oh. setting. Okay. Which is okay. when the children come up digging in your drawer, you say, sorry, I don't have anything. You put your headphone on, you go back to work. That's like the subtle shade. Subtle, the subtle, su- shade. Su- subtle, subtle, but communicative. <laughs> I think I have one that's like less subtle shade too. This is the passive aggressive technique. Um, Sorry, kids. I don't have any snacks for children, but here's a pen and paper. 
let's make a list of what you'd like your grandma to get for you. She'll have them next time you come because she doesn't want you to be hungry. All in a sing-songy voice. I think that's awesome. (laughs) And then finally, the devious plan. I have espresso beans and some little chocolates filled with liquor. Nora, (laughs) is it okay for them to dig in? (laughs) I got some crack over here in in my (laughs) bottom drawer. Is this good, Grandma? Um, <laughs> but you think direct is best. I thought direct was was clear and direct. You can't go wrong. Because if she's a reasonable human being at all, she has to meet you in that moment. It's an invitation to be a grown-up. Right. You don't have to give out anymore. You have some options for things to say. Um, <sighs> I want to be clear that you should not actually give them the chocolates filled with liquor, even if she says yes. Um, or, the, or the crack. Or the crack. Probably hold off on that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I hope this works out only because you do have to be able to do your job. And work is not the most important thing, but it is a thing that takes up a lot of our days. And you want to be able to do it without too much tension with the person sitting next to you. Who wants tension in the workplace? Not that it doesn't Nobody. exist, but you don't you don't need extra. Exactly. Yeah. So our next question is titled Technically Honest Thief. I, 18, about to graduate high school, have been stealing money from my parents for years. Petty cash around the house, in their drawers and desks, etc. I started a few years ago with mere pocket change, and now I take the occasional $20. I know, I sound horrible. The catch is my mother has been severely abusive my entire life. My father has done basically nothing to protect me. If I can nab a few bucks and spend the day in a coffee shop nursing a drink and a snack, that's a day I'm not at risk of being gaslit and accused of the most outrageous stuff, hiding in the basement, hoping my mom doesn't notice me. In my head, I know they owe me a hell of a lot more than 20 bucks, but I still feel so guilty. It doesn't help that I was raised as a very right-wing Christian where your parents basically own you. Is stealing from my abusers wrong, or should I be pushing past the guilt? I already deal with PTSD and the effects of everything. I don't want to have to feel guilt about this too, but I just don't know what to do. I should add, I don't have any source of income. My mother has always blocked me from getting a job, so I'm completely financially dependent on them. So, as a question of right or wrong... I'm actually totally fine with this. Um, I'm fine with you having the money. I'm fine with your parents losing the money. I'm actually okay with you charging your parents $20 to deal with them, even if they did not consent to the arrangement. But I still think it should stop, only because I worry that if you're found out, it could lead to more abusive behavior. Um, what do you think, LeVar? Boy, this for me, this was really a, a sort of an, a bona fide ethical dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't believe in stealing. I don't believe in taking that which is not mine. However, I cannot judge the survival mechanisms of another human being. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear a lot of pain in that letter. Um, and my heart goes out to that child because <sighs> whew, that's a situation. You came from a family with a a religious background that sort of gives parents ownership over their children. My friend slavery went out a long time ago. Hmm. You are Mm -hmm. no one's slave. Um, I would encourage you that as soon as it is reasonably 
possible for you to take agency over your own life and get out of that clearly abusive dynamic with your parents. Absolutely. Um, I want to sort of congratulate the letter writer on the really healthy energy they have for taking care of themselves. Yes. Um, I just think that's a great instinct. I, again, do worry about less about like the ethics and morality of stealing and more about the consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, I've received a lot of letters from people who are adults um, who are struggling because their parents are still caught up on their bad teenage behavior Mm -hmm. and they feel they've mischaracterized it. So the letter writer has a long road with their parents. Um, There'll be a lot of decisions to make about how much to be in touch, whether to do holidays, what to share relationships with grandchildren And I don't want one complicating factor there to be, my parents say I was a thief as a teenager and they use that to justify my abuse. So it might be good to just take that off the table. And I would suggest, I know this is easier said than done, but taking that energy you have to care for yourself and protect yourself and redirect it to something that could make your life a little better in a bigger way, talking to a school counselor, reading memoirs from people who grew up in abusive situations and came out the other side, maybe identifying a friend's parent or an older person who could fill that gap of a loving adult in your life, because I think that's something you'll really need. You really are good at this, aren't you? Thank you. You know, you really, you genuinely are. Wow. Thank you so much. I have a specific question for you, LeVar, because I read an interview you did with the publication Fatherly. Mm-hmm. Um, you said, I don't know a dad who's not overprotective. All dads are overprotective. Mm. We live in a culture, in a society where that is our primary responsibility to protect, defend, and provide for. That's what we're here for. I'm happy to have grown up and become a dad in an era where the job description of father has been expanded so successfully. Mm-hmm. With that perspective, I wonder what you think about the dad kind of falling down on the job here. And if the letter writer should approach him differently than they approach their abusive mother. I don't think I have enough information. It feels like, though, because she mentioned her mother specifically, that that's the problematic dynamic. Not to say that it, it probably isn't equally dysfunctional with her father. Um, but clearly, he's absent, or he seems to be absent in this dynamic. And in the de facto sense, yeah, you're right. He is falling down on his job. So, and he has to be aware of what's going on, um, right? If not complicit, um, right? I have some experience with growing up in a household where there is tension that expresses itself um, in rage mm-hmm. <laughs> and anger, and um, it's no fun. Right. I, I have a lot of uh, of, of compassion. For, yeah. for that writer, um, I feel like I can relate. I see, not in the, in the specifics, you know, um, but my, when my parents were going through their thing, um, it was it was unpleasant and frightening. How did you cope? My imagination, hmm. books, mm-hmm. right? I escaped to fantasy worlds and situations that felt safer than the one I found myself in as a child. Not a bad technique. I see her stealing as a survival mechanism. It helps her cope with the situation she finds herself in. Right. And um, I am not mad at that. Me neither. It's not about the money. As a final note, I just wanted to flag the line in the letter, quote, I know I sound horrible. Right. I want to say you don't um, at all. Right. Um, You sound like someone who's in a bad situation. You sound like someone who's strong. 
Um, and I want you to just watch out for that voice in your head that echoes your parents and that tells you you're not worthy and you're not a good person. You're really going to want to try to shake that off um, as you grow up and leave the home. You really sound like someone who has been through a lot and is trying to cope and is honestly doing a pretty good job of it. So I just wanted the letter writer to hear that. Amen. This is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudyplus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, that's slate.com forward slash prudyplus. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, LaVar Burton, to answer your letters. We have had some pretty good ones so far, LaVar. Are you ready to take on one more? I hope so. Okay. This one is titled, Supporting Role Sadness. I am a major theater kid. I love theater and everything about it. In 2020, I won a regional award for my production of Guys and Dolls. I was Sarah. This was right before COVID. In 2021, I started to do the school plays at my high school in which I got some decent roles, but none as big as the ones I got before. At our school's show for The Sound of Music, I was Marta. A casting agent came to our play to cast people for an off-Broadway play. I didn't hear much about it and thought no one got picked. A few days later, one of my friends told me they picked seven kids from the play to be in their show. I was devastated as I've been doing acting all my life and thought I was really good at it. This is even more disappointing considering it is my junior year and I'm considering going to college for theater. Should I quit? So I don't know a lot about acting, um, but... One thing I sense it's true that I've heard is that rejection is a huge part of the process. And LeVar, you know well what mm. it's like to mm-hmm. not get a job as mm-hmm. an actor that um, everyone agrees that you would be great at and that you very much want. And I just wonder how you would take some of that wisdom and help this letter reframe the situation. To answer the question, should I quit? My answer is yes. Really? You, you absolutely should. You what? absolutely should. Yes. Wait, what? And I say that because if I can convince you with my words that you can do something else with your life, I'm going to try to. Because if I can, then it obviously wasn't rooted deeply enough in you to resist. I tried desperately to talk my kid out of following me into the business. My wife and I are both, mm-hmm. my wife's a makeup artist. We were really clear there will be no child acting. We will not be taking you to auditions after school. Uh, when you're an adult, you can make that decision. She went off to college as a law major and then decided to audition for a spot mm-hmm. in the School of Music, Theater, and Dance and won one and then shared with us that she had changed her major. 
Wow. Um, and, and, and I was in that moment so proud because she stood up for herself and claimed what she believed to be hers. And I, I can't stand in the face of that. However, if I can convince you that there is another fate that is out there for you that doesn't involve all of this heartache and pain and rejection, I'm going to try and spare you that experience. Is that your advice for people contemplating pursuing acting or just any career path? Don't, 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 don't. Don't do it, really? Don't do it, don't do it. Because it's just so hard. It's, and these days, you know, a lot of kids, they want to be famous. They don't want to be actors. Hmm. They want notoriety. They want recognition. They want, you know, they want the spotlight. Um, But there's an underlying motivator that's missing in that desire which is to learn, study a craft Mm -hmm. and deliver it um, with every fiber of your being at every given opportunity. And that's why you want to do this, right? Because you can't do anything else because your heart just won't allow you to contemplate any other choice. Wow. Yeah, I think that's similar to what people say about writing. Yes. Um, Even if you're not getting published, if you're not having success. If you are a writer, you will just keep doing it. You, you will won't be saying, should I stop altogether? I don't know that there are a lot of professions that need be said, right? In, in the same way, you know? Um, I, I don't think that scientist or, or accountant or um, philosopher or therapist falls into that category of, if there is anything else you can do, go do that <laughs> thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> At least not for me. Not for me. It really is about performing arts and particularly for those in front of the camera. It can be soul crushing. Right. And we see so many actors struggling um, with being in the public eye and with all the scrutiny. And I'm sure just with the artistic struggles that we're not even aware of. Even should you be successful, it's not gravy. The journey is not over. You still have to live your life every day, right? Um, get up in the morning and look yourself in the mirror and, and know that you're you're doing everything you can to be a good human being. So help me square this with something you said um, mm. in an interview about not getting the job hosting Jeopardy. Sure. But then landing several other um, really exciting projects. Yeah. You said, I think sometimes in life, we need to be willing to sit in the discomfort of things mm-hmm. before you get to the reason, before you get to the goody. And sometimes just being willing to be uncomfortable is the purpose because the gift is on the other side. So can you talk a little bit about how that looked in your life and how that would look for a young actor who was meant to be in this career? I firmly believe that um, that I had a shot at that mm-hmm. job. I was very vocal about wanting the job. I went for it and I wouldn't do anything differently. Um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe um, I would, st- I'm, I'm going to bet on myself every time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause if you don't bet on you, how can you expect anyone else to, but it is the sitting in the discomfort that I think w- would be very valuable for the letter writer, right? Sit in the not knowing of why you didn't get that job. And it really doesn't matter. What matters is what is your response going to be to not getting mm-hmm. the job? My response was to be okay with it. And to acknowledge that because it didn't come my way, it wasn't for me. And to open myself up to the possibility of what happens now. <laughs> right. What's next? What's right. next? Right? 
but you didn't say, well, forget it. I'm not doing any of this anymore. And I didn't ask anybody if I had done the right thing, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it was my journey. It was my choice. I stand by my choices. And that one didn't work out the way I hoped it would. And certainly not the way I thought it would, but it worked out okay. It worked out just fine. And it was being willing and able to sit in the not knowing, to sit in that discomfort of not understanding really, you know, why I didn't get what I wanted, that I was able to see, you know what, wasn't supposed to be for you. And then the question became, well, what's next? And that's when, that's when the floodgates just started to open. Talk about a little bit about the floodgates opening and just what oh, you're working the, on. The, the, well, the, the, the first call I got was from the Rose Parade. That was, you know, so I went and, and, and did that. I got asked to host the, the non-televised portion of the Grammys. I got also host, uh, asked to host the uh, National Spelling Bee that year. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, and and all of the things that have happened. And then right away, right then right away, Star Trek Picard, called and said, we're doing a third mm-hmm. season arc that involves the entire Next Generation clan. Um, and we want you to be a part of that. And it, as it worked out, my daughter, the, the one that I didn't want to become an actor, plays one of my characters, two daughters wow. in, in this season of Star Trek Picard. So y- you just have to be willing to let go of that, which is not meant to be, so right. that you can embrace your destiny. That's all I'm saying. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show, and when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. I'm Janae Desmond-Harris. You're listening to Dear Prudence. We have reached our last question. LeVar, are you ready for it? Yes. The letter is titled, Not Blonde, specifically chosen for you because of your dabbling and being a priest at one point. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) okay let's hear it i recently attended an alumna event at my old catholic high school which included a mass the priest addressed the congregation saying how delighted he was to have been asked to officiate he commented all the girls here are so pretty and blonde A lot of people, mostly women, laughed, and I know he meant it humorously, but I was appalled. I thought his statement was blatantly sexist and racist. I wrote to the alumna director afterward and complained and asked that the priest be reprimanded and not invited back. Should I have said something at the moment? I didn't want to disrupt the service, and yet I thought just sitting there among the tittering crowd was tantamount to approval. What would Prudy have done? Um, so just to give you a little more background on LeVar, he enrolled in a Catholic seminary when he was only 13. He studied mm. there for four years um, before deciding the path to priesthood was not for him. He told The Atlantic in an interview that the most important thing he learned at the seminary was, quote, that I didn't want to be a priest. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's fair to say that had you become a priest, you would not have been up there spewing vaguely racist and sexist things. Boy, I Um, I certainly hope not. Yeah. I believe you wouldn't have. So to the letter writer, um, no, I I really don't think that you should have stood up and yelled, kind of racist, kind of sexist in the middle of mass. I just, 
I don't know. I, I don't think that um, that would have done a lot for anyone. It, you know what the situation reminds me of? It's sort mm. of like people who work for Fox News and then are surprised when they're sexually harassed. Mm. I mean, this mm. is the Catholic Church. Now, I'm a confirmed Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hate the Catholic Currently? Church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm still confirmed. I don't like uh-huh. still go get communion, but that right. if I have a religion, that is it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very conservative institution, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it and is. it's. I think it's fair to say it's a sexist institution. Oh, without question. I can't really point to anything that would like speak to the racial dynamics, but this is not. Oh, just um, look at the numbers of Catholics in the United States, and and right. and, and and look at <laughs> look at how. Catholics related to the black community when the Irish were the persecuted group in this country, right? An institution that old is, is going to be problematic. And that's the truth. I, I want to a- applaud the letter writer for having a skeptical view of authority figures. I was raised to respect all of these authority figures. But what I learned as an adult was that they did not necessarily automatically deserve my respect. So I, I really, I big ups to, to the letter writer for having um, the mindset that says he can be wrong. And I agree with you that, that standing up in the middle of, of the liturgy of a service is, is not the answer. However, post-service, pulling that priest aside and giving him a swatch, letting him know what time it is, wouldn't be a bad idea. I was going to suggest maybe a letter to the school and the church outlining just how it made you feel to hear that. I think it's all right to take that conversation directly to the offending party. Otherwise, how else are they going to learn? It's hard to be a social justice warrior and stay silent at the same time. Okay, so your chance for a little script off the top of your head, like mass is over, the priest is at the front shaking hands. Yes. You get a chance to talk to him. What would you say if you were this letter writer? Father, can I get a minute of your time, please? Because I had some concerns over the joke that you made during the service. And I just wanted to give you perhaps a perspective that you did not have in that Mm -hmm. moment. And then share with the priest how that felt. Right. To hear that joke being made, uh, being made, and, and the impact that it had on me. Yeah, I think the important thing is saying, um, how it felt because people get really weird when you start saying um, it was racist and sexist, even if it was. This is how it made me feel is really, I think the best way to communicate a feeling like that, Uh, uh, you know, um, avoid coming from a place of blame um, and, Mm -hmm. and make it about your experience rather than how you made me feel. Right. Right. In essence, it's 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 hard to make somebody else feel something. We respond to life the way we respond to life. And like I said uh, before, it's not the situation that determines who you are. It's how you respond to it. It's how you Mm -hmm. respond to it. Right. I think you can also speak to the priest's interests and the church's interests. Like we Mm -hmm. all know the church probably needs more people. Right. They need more congregants. They need more people in the pews. Mm -hmm. And it might be worth saying, you know. I'd like to see more people in here too. And I think one avenue to get there would be to make everyone feel included and welcome. And when you send the message that, you know, women are valued mostly for their appearance or that the height of a woman's beauty is being white, that's not creating a space where people um, really feel comfortable and can focus on the message. Yes. You know, if I ever have beef with anybody, I'm going to come to you. 
Come right to advice. me. I'm, I'm going to come with to you script. for advice. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. I'm happy to provide notes anytime. I appreciate it. LeVar, this was really fun. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for the compliments on my advice throughout. That definitely kept me going. And I just really appreciate your time. Sincerely, you really do have uh, a gift for this. And that's not all that common. It's pretty rare. An old friend of mine uh, back in the day, in the seminary days, Vince Rosado, he coined a, a word called omnispect, um, mm. which means that you, are, you have the ability to see from several different points of view simultaneously. You have omnispect. Hmm. And and that is a rare human talent. That means so much coming from you. Again, we just, we appreciate you so much. Everyone, listen and subscribe to LeVar's podcast, LeVar Burton Reads, where he invites you to take a break from your daily life and dive into a great story. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday. And you can join us for the Dear Prudy live chat on Mondays at noon Eastern. If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous. Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.